All right, well, I promised that this week you wouldn't have to listen to me speak, and we have our very, very special guest, David Kingston, with us from our international office. And I won't give you too much more. He can talk about himself better than I can talk about him. But uh, I had the privilege when I was in Bible college to go to Oshawa and work under his leadership as sort of my first ministry placement. And so if you think there's moments where I've made some really awkward mistakes here, he's got way more stories that can tell you how bad it was uh, that many years ago. And so uh, he is a man full of grace, full of integrity, an amazing, impeccable character. And uh, if he can put up with me for a couple years, uh, he can do anything. And so uh, I'm so thankful that God has brought you into this role. He serves our fellowship. I don't even know how many titles you have right now, but I'll let you share them all. He's stepped in in the interim in a couple other roles, in addition to being the director of stewardship. And, uh, you know, we had some, some transition happen and everything else, which we've shared about previously. And uh, it's no coincidence, it certainly is the plan of God that God plays David in the role that he's in for such a time as this. And he has just served our fellowship with, with uh, so much grace and intelligence. And uh, we're so thankful that he's now able to be with us here this morning. So would you welcome Pastor Dave as he comes this morning? See, now he's the boss. And I have to follow, right? Which is good, because we all need to learn how to follow. So, Gary, that introduction, like, it's all downhill from here. Like, seriously, that was so kind of you. But, you know, he was by far, well, by far is maybe a little, little radical. We're talking about radical stewardship. So he was the best uh, um, assistant that we had at Trinity for many years. And we were there for almost 10 before we took on this role in the, in the office. And he and Elizabeth, when we met at, at Bible College, on reference from, the, uh, from Bill Morrow, who uh, sort of gave me the heads up, the 411 on, on these two as they were going through their second year and getting into the third, fourth year season. And um, they kindly moved all the way to Oshawa, bought a house, and Elizabeth started working in the hospital there just so that they, and they drove, he drove back to school in Peterborough, which was like 75, 80 kilometers uh, to go to class, just because the opportunity was open for him to, to join us on staff at, at, in Oshawa. So, I mean, I couldn't ask for a kinder, uh, more servant-hearted person than Gary. And, and, and through the time that he was there, he was, he was fresh, he was new in ministry, He's a lot more seasoned now. Wow, like, like good, good things are happening, and we're just so thankful for what the Lord is doing here in this church and in this community and what God is doing through their ministry and through all of you guys, all you folks. Um, I remember one of the first Sundays that he led worship for us, and uh, there was a, Trinity is a, a church that's been around for a long time, like almost 100, well, 100 plus years uh, this year. And uh, so back in those days, it was this is like... Uh, what was it, 2013, 2014, right? Um, we had quite a, a, a large group of older congregants, more mature, I guess, is what we call them. And Gary gets up and he's playing and he says, you know, basically it's something to the effect of, do you know, folks, um, a lot of us, you know, when we worship the Lord, we raise our hands. So why don't you raise your hands if you're able? <laughs> and so all these older people are going, why would he say that? Does he think that we can't, oh, we're getting too old to raise our hands and stuff? So there was this, like, this wave of laughter that goes to the congregation, and he's leading away in full heart and sincerity, and people are standing there going, hmm, 
<laughs> it was really good. It was just those moments, we've all done them. I said a few things in Oshawa that uh, I was reminded of when, during the farewell. And you will never farewell them here because I think they'll, they'll be here forever. But um, just take note of the things that happened through the years. It's worth it. So the Lord is good. And you guys have got the finest couple family here. And you're so blessed. I, I, you know, as far as what I see when I travel... There's all kinds of different personalities, and you have got one of the, one of the kindest and, and servant-hearted pastors that I've ever seen and worked with. So just celebrate that, and you guys are blessed, and I'm sure you're a blessing to them as well, as that's what I hear. We're here today to talk about stewardship, and um, I just want to bring greetings from our international office, our General Superintendent David Wells, our International Missions Director Murray Cornelius, our acting uh, general secretary treasurer, Ron Davis, which I'm working with right now, sort of in, in tandem, and then still doing the stewardship stuff. And we're in a transition time right now. We're ready to go into a new conference next year and elect a new general secretary treasurer. Many of you heard that the, uh, perhaps uh, the passing of one of our executive officers, David Hazard, uh, went to be with the Lord this past June 27th uh, after a two-year battle with lung cancer and uh, went and finished so well in his heart and his life. And uh, so he's a great, great legacy example for us to carry on and continue doing the work of the Lord through the years. And I'm thrilled to be here today. So stewardship is not just about how you give. Let me just settle that right now. It's about how you live. And we don't talk just about giving. And a lot of people think stewardship seminar, giving, giving, it's all about money. No, the passion of our department is this, that we would go past the money thing. And money is only a small part of who we are, really. When you look at the gifts that God has given us, when you look at the time that we have that's been afforded to us, when you look at the temple of the spirit that God has given to us, our bodies, when you look at the opportunities and the family that we have among us, the cash part of it is really secondary or tertiary to the reality that we're called by God to give everything we have to him, surrender, so that he can use it for his honor and glory. Somebody said a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was so good, and I were kind of alluding to this message, that you, God can't use what you can't give him. He's a gentleman. So if we don't give him stuff, like our gifts and our time, he doesn't use it. He doesn't impose upon us to use things that we're not ready to give to him. So we're limited if we're limited givers. And our ministry is limited if we're limited givers. But the scripture says that God loves a generous person in all that they are and all that they do. So that's the, really the, the mandate of stewardship is to understand that the Bible is full of teaching about how we live our lives and not just what we give. So here's a, a good verse to start us off today in Luke chapter 16. Let's see if our, my thing or bobber is working here. Turn it on, turn it off, turn it on. That's my, my big thing today. Is it working? It is, but it's not working up here? Well, we've had enough technical difficulties today, so why not for me too, right? It's all good. So the, um, the, the key thing that we're talk, talking about, Luke chapter 16, is an awesome introduction to this whole seminar. And I'm doing what I call the abridged version of the seminar, so I'm not going to keep you really long today, which is probably a good thing, because we're all busy watching the fall colors and doing our business. But um, th this Luke passage is so important, because it says to the effect of this, it says, God has decided, basically, that whoever can be trusted with very little will 
we'll also be able to be trusted with much. So what happens here is we have a lot of kids that are hanging around, and you realize that when children are being raised, that you give them a little, and when they're trustworthy with that, you give them a little bit more. And when they're trustworthy with that, you give them a little bit more. And so when you can be trustworthy with a little bit, God will give you more to manage. So there we go. So whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. That's the principle of stewardship. And whoever is dishonest with very little will probably also reveal that they're dishonest with much. So God treats us like children, because we are his children, in that he entrusts us with some, and when we're faithful, he gives us more, and when we're faithful, he gives us more, because he trusts us with the management. So it's interesting in this passage, he says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, or the things that God has given us, who will trust you with the true riches of the kingdom? So this is when we really want to lay our faces down at the altar and say, God, use me. Your stuff is my stuff. My stuff is your stuff. And this is how we work together. It's all about you. And so it goes on in the passage, says, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, then who will give you property of your own? Again, the stewardship principle that we are not the owners of what we have. We're the managers, right? It's great to be able to manage something and not own it. Now, we have neighbors next door to us who, who go to Florida fairly regularly, not during COVID as much. And the one thing they did, which I thought was interesting, is they asked us to watch over their house, you know? And um, there's these two ladies next door, and they go actually either to Florida or to Nova Scotia, and they kind of say, can you keep an eye on the house? And I realized that if I keep an eye on their house, it's actually not my house, but I'm going to watch it to make sure everything's safe. I'm going to make sure I'm going to look at the backyard and the front yard and make sure nobody's trying to go around the house and case it for whatever, because I know that I'm the manager of keeping their house safe. But I would never presume to walk into their house or take anything because it's not mine. You, you wouldn't even think about that, but you would do your diligence in watching it. So I think of my own house that way too, that it's actually God's, and I'm there to manage it for his honor and glory. I don't actually own it, even though my name's on the deed. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who gave me the money and the, and the deed. So, so no servant, it says in Scripture, that can serve two masters. There's, there's a line drawn in the sand here that either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And you know the great verse that we see in Scripture, Luke 16, you can't serve both God and money. Money cannot be before God. Your possessions, your lifestyle, your time, none of these things can be before God. They are under God, and he reigns over all these things. So I want to talk to you about one more thing. First Timothy chapter 6, introduction, says that, and he says to, this is Paul teaching Timothy, a younger pastor, uh, mentoring him, and he's saying, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, amen, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I love the word enjoyment because it really means that the greatest joy comes when we surrender, and the greatest freedom comes when we learn to surrender, and when we give up, God uses things to a greater degree than we could ever do ourselves. And that's the, that's the principle of stewardship that's important. So he says, command them. He doesn't even say suggest to them, have a seminar, have a webinar. He says, command them. Get in the pulpit and say, you guys smarten up. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and how they live their lives, full life stewardship, to be generous and willing to share 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly a real, honest, amazing life, not just an existence, right? So 1 Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, go at the people who have much and make them servants. Teach them to be servants. That's the greatest joy that they'll ever have. So I want to just pause for a moment and talk about how we're just going to go through six things real quick today. And this hopefully will help you. We're going to go on a journey of life. And we're going to start where we're at as of today and work our way towards heaven. How many of you would like to make it to heaven? But not today. <laughs> so that's why we have a journey ahead of us, right? So we're in good shape there. We're all breathing. We're all, we're all had our breakfast. We're in good shape. So we're going to start with what I call finding the spot marked X. Now, I don't know if you, you guys go to the mall with the enclosed malls. If you go like to Sudbury or you go to Thunder Bay or you go to Sault Ste. Marie or down in our area, we have a mall in Oshawa that's quite large. And I don't always like going to the mall because it's just so full of stuff. So the one thing that I really appreciate about the mall is that when you walk in, there's usually a, a map, right, which gives you the whole place. And if I want to go and buy a pair of shoes at the sports store, I just look on the map and say, okay, down here, over there, over there, get the shoes, escape. So I love the fact that they tell me where it is so I can go right in and get out and I'm not meandering and wandering through the mall. And there's always this little mark on the mall map that says X. It says you are here. That it gives you a reference point. Where am, I, where am I now? Where's the store? And how do I get out of here? Now, it's a little creepy that they always know where I am. I got to admit that. I don't know how they do. But, but it, it's, a, it's a tool to help me know where I'm going and what my goal is. So it's the same thing with who we are in our stewardship life. We start at the spot marked X, which is where you're at as of today. Now, when we're talking about the, re the resources we have, we always put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is being very clear that we don't have to worry about what we will eat, what we will wear, that even the lilies of the field are dressed in Solomon's splendor. But it doesn't say that we shouldn't plan for tomorrow. It says we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. Some people think that not worrying means not doing, but it actually, not worrying means doing more sometimes because we do our due diligence to honor the Lord. Then we don't have to worry because he's in the equation. So I, I always start with what I call the OO law of finance. This is, again, resources. We're going to talk a little bit about money. It is part of it. But the OO law of finance is interesting. It, it gives you a chance to, to determine where you're at as of today. So the first O is relating to everything we own in our life still on that stuff. We own the bank, we own the credit card company, whatever. And if you take the first one and you subtract the second one, you get what you actually are worth, your net worth. And some of us say, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> that's why it's the O law of finance. Because you only actually are worth the difference. You're not worth what your house is worth, you're worth what you can get for it. Does that make sense? And that's why property assessments are always lower than fair market value. <laughs> Thank God for that. So, um, so we, we, we talk about our net worth being something that is actually who we are in our, our resources and what we can use. And so I always just throw out a real quick thing because when we talk about budgeting and stuff, you have to kind of almost list things. And here are some examples, you know, uh, a house or a condo or automobiles or investments or things that we may think we own, the first O, and in this case, it's like over 500-some thousand. In, in our day and age, that's not un, that unreasonable. It might be, it might not be, but it doesn't really matter. It's just an example. 
But then we have to look at what we owe, right? And in this case, this scenario, the individual owes 428 out of all those things. And so the owning is 558 and the owing is 428. So their actual net worth is 130,000. That's really what they're worth. And that's what we have to sort of look at and say, okay, what am I going to do with this 130? Where am I going with it? Is it getting bigger because I'm earning more and spending less? Or is it getting smaller because I'm earning less and spending more? What direction are we going in? Where are we heading from the spot marked X? Where am I at today? It's a very simple calculation. And uh, so we go to principle number two, which is we really need to set some goals for the future. Where are we going? Is it going to get bigger? Is it going to get smaller? Do I even know what it is? And where am I going next? So it's very practical. You want to get from here to there. You have to drive or you have to fly or you have to travel and it takes time. So I always say to people, when you're starting a plan to change your net worth and your lifestyle, you go slowly. You make little decisions at a time. It's like the people who join the gym and go the first day and work out for seven hours and then never go back again because 48 hours later they're like going, I can't even move, you know because their body just, re just rejects the, the exercise. You start with 10 minutes, and then you do 20 minutes, and then you do 30 minutes, and you know that. So it has to be the same when we set our goals. Is it gonna be two months? Is it gonna be two years? Uh, you know, to get from here to there. And you'll notice that the map that I'm using is actually um, from Thunder Bay to Winnipeg. But anyways, um, so it's kind of close by. It's just one of my, it's just my thing. So, um, you know, you want to get from here to there. You want to set some principles. So goals in business talks about this. We talk about this in the church, that goals have to be smart. They have to be manageable. They have to be specific. You have to have goals. They have to be measurable, that you can actually see progress. They have to be attainable, that you can actually get to them and not go past what you are possible to do. Just even in good faith, God is saying, set good goals. And they have to be realistic and they have to be timely so that you can actually accomplish things one thing at a time. And you're not failing. You don't feel like a failure. You know, I, I didn't do it the first time, so I'll never do it again. No, do a little one and then conquer that and do a little one and conquer that. And before you know it, you look back after three months and you say, wow, things have actually changed. It was worth doing it this way. So the third principle we always say is you, if you're going to set some goals, it's good to, to create a financial plan. I, I believe this for every believer. We don't, just, we don't just let things happen and trust God. We trust God and we make things happen. We don't just let things happen. And because of that, we should create a plan that helps us along. So um, here are some of the, what I call the, 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 the principles of making a plan. Number one, commit it to God in prayer. Always go to the Lord first. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. We know that. Proverbs. This, by the way, this presentation is full of verses from Proverbs. It's so cool. Proverbs is so rich when you begin to really dig in. And then get help from informed people or reliable sources. I always advocate if there are people that you know that know what they're doing, have a coffee with them and get some advice. Uh, you know, plans to the diligent lead to profit, and surely as haste can lead to poverty overspending quickly, not, not knowing what you're doing, all those things. And then what we call, we, we invoke the old McDonald law of economics. So we got the OO law of finance, that's done, owing and owning. And now we have the EIEIO. Are you ready? Old McDonald had a farm. So you already know it. So this is easy. This is like, this is like nursery rhymes to you guys. So the E-I-E-I-O, here's the principle. 
you expect income each month, right? You get paid or you get, you get your pension or you get whatever. So there's money coming in, right? So here in, in this case, there's probably somebody's making $5,300 a month on all the stuff that they're getting money from. They're getting wages, they're getting employment stuff, interest on their incomes, things like that. But unfortunately, we also have expenses, which go out. So you got income coming in, you got expenses going out, E-I, E-I, get it? So in this case, the individual is spending the $53.98 that they're getting in every month, which means that their end of the month balance is E-I-E-I. Oh, you're with me. There's, is there more coffee? <laughs> um, so here's the expected income minus the expenses. Now, in this particular case, it's, it's a balanced, what we call a balanced budget, E-I-E-I-O. So the question is, the expected income is coming in, which is great. The expenses are going out. What do you think you have better control over? The income or the expenses? Expenses. So you know that you have control over what is going out. So we call this the FIRE principle. Here's number three for you. So we had the OO law of finance and we had the EIEIO, right? Now we have FIRE, which is either, this is your choice to, to improve your net worth, your position where you're at today. You can either find more income or you can reduce your expenses to get in a better position. And so the reducing of expenses is far easier to manage and control than the finding the income part. So we always say to people, it's probably smart for you to manage your spending, the outflow, right? And that means that whether we like it or not, it's really smart for us to create a budget. And uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but here are all the important players according to the scripture and according to practical life in Canada where the money goes. This is where the expenses go regularly for the average Canadian. First of all, God. We know that God is at the top end of what we do. We tithe, we offer, we give, we bless. And then we know that Canada revenue is there in the mix very quickly afterwards. Not equal to God, but they may think they are, which is fine. I hope nobody here works for CRA. God bless you if you do. We're praying for you. But there's you and your family which is the needs of your family and your household, and then your employer who takes deductions, which is normal. You know, you might have union dues, you might have EI, CPP, taxes, all that stuff. Your creditors who you owe money to for your residence, for your vehicles, for your credit cards. And then your neighbors are people that we give to around us as believers to bless. So it's real simple. The scripture talks about basically all of these. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. This is God coming first, and he says, test me and see that I will not pour out and throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And this is the only time in Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, that God says, test me, is when he says, trust that I will bless you if you bless me. And so it's really cool that God has made this promise to us if we obey. And then this passage in Luke chapter 21, Jesus walking with his disciples, really good example. Of, he looks up, he sees the rich at the temple putting in their gifts in the treasury, and then he sees this poor widow putting in her two very small copper coins. And he takes the moment, teaching moment for the disciples, mentoring moment, and he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. Now, of course, the, it didn't compare money-wise, they were giving tons of cash. She was giving two coins. But in terms of the sacrifice value, hers was far bigger than theirs because she just did it as unto the Lord 
And they were doing it to show off because they had the clothes and they had the, the position and notoriety. And so all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, which is easy to do. And I actually find that wealthier people are less likely to give sometimes than people who are average or lower income because they understand the value of sharing, which is what the lesson was today, right? I'm not really sure if slimed is a good thing or bad, but I want to be slimed. You know what I'm saying? So I've learned something. But it's, she gave it out of her poverty, and she, had, she gave actually to the nth degree. She gave all that she had to live on. And Jesus took that moment to show his disciples, hey, uh, folks, smarten up with what you do because we need to be charitable, kind givers. Look, look what this says. Dear Revenue Canada, I'd like to uh, cancel my subscription. Please remove me from your mailing list. If only it were true. I, I have nothing against CRA because they give me an income tax um, refund every year, so they're my favorite people on, in, in April. The rest of the year, who knows? So the tax man, CRA, is next. We know that responsible citizens have to pay taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. So he already drew the line in the sand there. And, and we know that it's God's will for us to pay our fair share of taxes. Otherwise, we wouldn't have nice highways. We wouldn't have electrical work. We wouldn't have uh, streetlights. We wouldn't have all that stuff that keeps us safe. And we wouldn't have free hospital care in Ontario, except if you're an employer paying your dues. But, to, you know, we, we always say with regards to taxes, instead of going to a whole seminar about taxes and tax breaks and taxable benefits, we just always say get advice to get your fair share of taxes calculated. Don't pay more than you need to. Don't try to pay less than you need to because that's not good because if you're audited, then there's problems. But find your fair share of taxes because plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they can succeed. Again, Proverbs 15. So we always say get advice. So God comes first, then the tax man, and then the family. And by the way, I shouldn't say tax man. It's tax person. Just want to be clear. Saving for rainy days, your family. This is so important because it's suggested that everyone, especially in this day and age, have what we call an emergency fund. And some people say, I could never do that. Well, I, I used, I've been teaching this for 10 years, and often I get people come to me in the appointments afterwards, I'll talk about, and they say, you know, it's really hard for us to save up to like three months of an emergency fund just in case you lose your job and you're in transition and you need funds. Uh, you know, and before COVID, that was my reaction. But since COVID, everybody's saying, I wish I had done the three months uh, security for myself. Three to six months. Because the emergency fund will help us through some tough times. And so I always say to people, we'll start saving towards the emergency fund. Start putting money away. And the best way to do that is to make it automatic. To have your bank change from this to this. And it comes off your paycheck and it goes in. And you can set that up. So you're always saving because I love this again. Proverbs 21. In the house of the wise, there are stores of choice foods and oils. And a foolish man devours all that he has in like one sitting. And then there's nothing left, right? So we always want to start what we call a pre-authorized debit into a savings or a tax-free savings account. That's the advice. I, although I don't give advice, I give information. Uh, it's wise. Your employer, we know the employer takes off CPP, EI, taxes, etc. That's coming off the top. You have to work that through. Creditors, I love this Proverbs 22, verse 7, verse one of my favorite verses is the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So that's why we always try to say if you can get rid of your debt, then you are no longer servant to the lender, you're servant to the Lord you know, that way. So that's the encouragement is that people change their net worth by getting rid of their debt. And so how do you get out of debt? 
you stop any form of borrowing and try to pay cash for things if you can or debit. That's an advice. Some people use credit cards, but they have very good personal skills and they pay them off within 15 days and they're good with that. Some people aren't so good with that and there are 93 million active credit cards in Canada right now. Um, which is phenomenal considering there's 40 million people. So that means all, every one of us, man, woman, and child, has two and a half credit cards, which is crazy. And the limits are getting higher and the paybacks. Now, in the last year, there has been a, a, a movement to pay off uh, credit card debt in Canada. It has been, it's been getting better. But five years ago, it, we were at a peak of indebtedness in Canada. It was so bad. Some people, ha on the average, had eight to $12,000 in credit card debt on a monthly basis. Who can pay that off? So if you can develop a budget and stay within your budget, the prudent man seeks danger, takes refuge, but the simple keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going in the same old habits and they suffer for it. So that's why it's good to start changing your ideas of how you spend. Budgeting is important. Here are some percentages on average in Ontario that people pay for their expenses, you know, their housing is around 30 some, 36%. Things may be different in this area, I don't know, but that's just an average, uh, you know. So those are things that we kind of look at. What am I spending on those things? And then, um, then I, I, I try not to exceed that on a monthly basis and have savings. Then we talk about our neighbors, who are the people around us. And you guys know, and folks know, that, that Christianity really is one of the foundational uh, movements for, for, for charity in Canada. Like back in the late 1800s, a lot of the Christian movements were the ones who founded a lot of our major charities. They may not be controlled by Christian movement now, but they were founded by, under the principles of Scripture, because we as believers became the pioneers of generosity in Canada. And so now in this, these days, we still are called to be charitable. We're still called to be the ones who set up these things. And your neighbors, very clear in Scripture, uh, Luke chapter 10, you know, on the occasion, an expert in the law came up to Jesus. This is the greatest story in the Bible, probably, for, for, for stewardship. Teacher, he asked, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, of course, Jesus, who wants to teach this young man, who thinks he knows the law, the Old Testament law, about how you handle yourself, which is just act good before God and not be everything before God all of your life, he says, it's written. He says, how do you read the law? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus kind of went, gotcha. You got the first part right, but do you understand the second part of loving your neighbor? So he said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And so he said, the man wanted to justify himself. He said, so Jesus, uh, who is the neighbor? And Jesus said, okay. And he tells the long story about a man who goes up from Jericho to Jerusalem and he's, he, or down from Jerusalem and, and he's stripped by, and he's robbed and he's left for, for, for dead almost on the side of the road and we know that a Levite passes by and he comes to the place and he walks on the opposite side. Wow, isn't that nice? A religious leader in God's people. And then, of course, the Samaritan comes later on. We also see that not just the Levite but but the, uh, you know, two people come by that should have stopped and should have said something and should have done something. But then the most unlikely person, the good Samaritan, comes by. And as he's traveling, he sees the man. He takes pity on him. He binds his wounds. He pours wine and oil to make the man feel better, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and begins to take care of him. And not only does he take care of him, which is extraordinary, an extraordinary story, which has become famous, the good Samaritan story, uh, but it's, it's even bigger than that because he, he, the next day, 
He didn't just do that and go, like I've done my due diligence today. But he took full responsibility. He took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper, says, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for anything else that happens that's more than this. Which not many of us do in our culture because we want to keep and we want to grab and we want to, we want to own. But he realized that he didn't own and he didn't want to keep and he wanted to help. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said, well, it's the one who had mercy on him. There's no other answer here. I can't go anywhere else. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's the true heart of the great commandment and great commission and the great mandate that we do good to others. So Christianity taught the world about charity. And uh, we see Jesus himself is the greatest example of this in Romans 5. And this is the key moment, really, in this entire presentation, that we recognize that Christ is the greatest steward of all because he gave his life while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, while we were still without hope, while we were ungodly, while we were far from God. He gave everything to bridge a gap between us and, and, and the Father. That's the greatest act of stewardship that in Scripture and that he just told the other guy to go and do likewise. And he's calling us to go and do likewise. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the only reason we're sitting here today. It's because of his great love for us. So, which means that as we travel through life, it's good for us to plan, to, to budget, to spend well, to be good stewards of what God has given us, our time, our talents, our, our, our bodies, all those things, our money. But we should plan for the days to come and if you're already in your retirement years, you can cheer this on because this is a good time of life. Uh, if you're not there yet, then you're heading towards there, which I am. And so I want to be aware of what's, what's available to me as well in the retirement years that are coming. If you look at the Canada population uh, statistics, it's very interesting that we have a green section that's the birth rate in Canada. And we have a brown section that is the retirement rate in Canada on this graph. And if you notice that the green section way back in the 1960s was pretty high post-war. I'm a boomer, the end of the boomer generation. There was lots of babies born after the war. And so if you look at the number of people that were retiring back then, it was a small group. So there was a large group of people working to pay a small group of people who were retiring. But as you see, the two graphs cross each other, and in the like 19, 2000, just after 2000, they crossed each other. Now there is a very small birth rate and a lot of people retiring, which means that if I want to get my Canada pension and I want it to be intact, I better make some plans of my own to make sure that I have the income that I need to go into retirement years. So, so this is, these are Canadian population projections. So retirement is interesting because when I start looking at my retirement, there's key things that I should understand. And I always say you should revisit your retirement plan when you're like age 55 and 65 and 71 because society changes, laws change, situations change. Canada pension will be a constant payout when you retire from the government. I'm not sure how much it'll be. Old age security is a constant payout for life from the government. We know that. Pensions, if you have one defined benefit or whatever pension, uh, will be a constant payout or a, a lump sum payout, depending on your agreement, when you retire and you live on that. But investments are what make the difference in reaching a, a retirement age goal. And we talk about investments being like RSPs, tax-free savings accounts, real estate, GIC, stocks, all the investment stuff. And that you should be involved in those things 
progressively long-term to meet your monthly income goal. And we always say, talk to a financial advisor to help you with those numbers to get to that place that you, you also have to take into account that in 15 years, a dollar is not gonna be worth what it is now. It's gonna be worth less because of inflation. So you take all that into account and you figure out where you're gonna be, which helps to sort of plan ahead, especially when you're a younger couple. It's always good to get going quicker because the longer you're in, the more you make, right? So we understand that the, that you take some action in your life. You, there's RSPs, mutual funds, PFSG notes are what we call term deposits that we offer to our, our churches, to people that have a very competitive rate to the banks for GICs. Like the bank rate right now for a, a one-year GIC is about 0.6, and we offer 2.5%, which is pretty, pretty marketable. Um, we have gift annuities for folks that are over 70 that will give a gift and then they live off a percentage of the interest for the rest of their lives guaranteed income. Annuities are part of that. Um, but the key thing is to take advantage of the power of compound interest, which means that you're making interest on your interest. The sooner you're in, the more you'll make progressively. So that's really the key element in, in investing is to make the difference. So we always encourage you to get advice. And it's, again, part of this, it's part of the due diligence of stewardship is getting the advice. Which brings us to the last thing, last principle, probably the one you're most possibly interested in because we do free wills and we do free powers of attorney. And that is estate planning, the powers of attorney and the wills, doing what we call the final touches. And so while you're still here on earth, if something happens and you're incapacitated, you need someone to make a decision for you with regards to your personal finances and with regard to your personal care. And so you're allowed to, in Ontario, name a primary and a secondary power of attorney, someone who is the power to make decisions for you, represent you, that's what attorney means. If, if things go south for a while and you're in a coma or you're not able to make a decision, when you recover, you take that back. But in the meantime, they can act on your behalf at the bank and at the hospital or at the nursing home. And so we offer those documents free of charge. Uh, so that you have those in place and you sign them and you take them with you the day that we, we draft them because they don't have to go to a lawyer or be notarized or anything like that. So it's important for us to remember that it's good to have those documents in place. Like this gentleman who's sitting there with his wife and he's saying, just so they want to talk about this because it's good to talk about it. What are your wishes if something should happen? So just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent on some machine. And so his wife, he says, if that ever happens, just unplug me, okay? We've, you know, some of us have had this discussion. And she says, okay. And she gets up immediately and unplugs the TV. Because she doesn't want him to be stuck in a, with a machine in a vegetative state. You get it, right? So, yeah, we won't go there. So, with regards to the powers of attorney, you want your spouse is usually number one, your primary choice. And then you want someone else who's 18 years of age or older who can handle it if your spouse isn't around. So that's usually how that works. Uh, but then you get to the will, which is, of course, after we pass, we go to see Jesus and we're going to want all of our stuff to be distributed the way we desire in Ontario law and the way that, uh, that it should go. So, so wills, um, you know, James chapter 4 says, listen today. Or tomorrow you go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Basically, the scripture is saying, some of us think that this will never happen. We just go on with life as if everything's normal. 
but we don't realize that at a moment our life is just a wisp or it, it appears for a little while and then it vanishes. And God is really warning us to make use of our time well and to make plans of our time ahead of time before things happen. And so in Canada, only three out of 10 adults have a verified up-to-date will, which is kind of scary because the courts are jammed with problem uh, accounts and wills that, or states that have no wishes and wills, deliberating over children, fighting over resources and all kinds of stuff, and it just jams up the, the courts. But when you have a will, it, it zooms through and everything's done quickly. Uh, many will say they don't have enough, they think they should wait, They're, they want to die penniless, I'm going to spend it all anyways. They don't even know the day. The Lord only knows the day that they're going to be with Jesus. So who can plan that? Uh, some say wills are only for the elderly. I have a lot of 20 and 30 plus, uh, even young couples doing that. Some say there's plenty of time. And I've seen and heard stories of how people have perished in the meantime, unfortunately. And uh, so when do you need a new or updated will? When things transition in your life, if you're over 18 years of age, you're eligible to have a will. If you're recently married or divorced, you're your marital status has changed or you've lost a loved one uh, because they've passed, uh, if, you are, if you have special family concerns, uh, if it doesn't reflect your current thinking and you want to update it or revise it into new thinking of who you're leaving what and what percentage, if it doesn't provide for the Lord's work and you want to include that in your will, there's a charitable element there that gives you a tax break. And if you're a new parent, you want to name a guardian for your children, of course, because if you don't, then it's up to the courts. And it's not necessarily going to Grandma or Auntie Beth uh, automatically because the courts have to determine that. But when you name a guardian, it's, it's legal. So it's very wise to name a guardian in your will. So the first questions about considering a will are, who will be the executors? Who will handle the will for me? Again, your spouse is usually primary executor. And one other person would be the secondary executor for both if you're a couple or if you're a single adult, you choose one that you trust and then a backup. What ages should I have the assets distributed to children or grandchildren? Uh, do I want some of my assets to go to charity, support the Lord's work, or do I want 100% to the family? Uh, do I want to do it myself? Do I want to get assistance from our office or from a lawyer? Uh, you know, uh, how will I handle this? Let me think it through. And we help you with all of that. So here's how a traditional will works in Canada, in Ontario especially. If there are two spouses, okay, they're married, they're together, They've named one and the other as their primary beneficiary. One spouse passes, everything goes to spouse number two according to these wills. So it's lock, stock, and barrel to the spouse. When the second spouse passes though, then you have an estate that's uncovered that two people built up over the years. And so they, they create at the lawyer's office what we call an estate account, where they begin to assess the value of the estate, you know, investments, real estate, vehicles, uh, bank accounts, all that. And then the debts have to be paid. That's always first. At the top end of the will is always pay off all the debts. Uh, and then taxes have to be paid, uh, have to be filed on the estate. And there's probate in there sometimes with the lawyers, et cetera, based upon your, your net worth. Then the next step is that they will tax you on RRSPs, capital gains, investments, things that you made money on that you got a tax break through the years. They get you in the end in your estate. And then when that's all done, there is a threshold in Ontario of $41,000, where above that they tax you at 38%, and below that they tax you at 20.5%. So we try to encourage people to get their estate income value with benefits below that, so they're not taxed as much, 
and there's less lawyer fees and all that stuff. So the next thing that would happen then in that case is that the estate account would then be updated after all the debts and the taxes and everything's paid, and then you would give it to your children or whoever in what we call equal shares, if that's your wish. So that is the residue of your estate, whatever's left, that gets distributed when you're naming people. That's how a will works. That's the flowchart. Now, how many of you know how quickly a person in their 20s and 30s will spend their inheritance from mom or dad or from grandma or grandpa? How long does it take them to spend the whole amount of their inheritance on average in Canada? Six months. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's a national statistic. Six months. So depending on how much money it is, I mean, they're like buying everything that they've always wanted. I always told my kids, I'm leaving in my will, you can have the money only if you clear debt. And if you, your debt's clear, then buy what you want, like a house. So here's the, here's the difference. The other option in Ontario is the charitable will, and that is the same flow. You look at spouse number one is passed, spouse number two is passed, the debts are paid, income taxes have to be filed, capital gains are taxed and then the same threshold, the estate account. But when people give a charitable gift to any charity, it doesn't have to be a Christian charity, it can be a hospital, it can be a Red Cross, it can be whatever. Um, we just put in there the Lord's work because that's the most common thing that we see. Uh, we, we talk about, in this case, just a scenario of 10% that goes to the Lord's work. That gives you a 45% tax break on your estate taxes. Or, or up to 70%, depending on, on what it is. So what that does is it, you're not sending the money any longer to CRA. You're now sending it to a charity. But your payout for your children is almost exactly the same. So the taxable benefit gives you a charitable... The charitable benefit gives you a taxable benefit. And you're not losing money that you're leaving to your family. So some people choose this. It's their choice. Uh, some people choose the traditional will. Um, and that, those are the two options that you have in Ontario to include or not include the, the charitable gift. And so the charitable will, I just always tell you, here's the benefits. They, you know, it recognizes the blessing of God. It kind of leaves a lifestyle legacy uh, of how you've lived your life, Don't, not storing up treasures on earth, but in heaven, et cetera, et cetera, according to Matthew 6, where rust can't destroy it, and the thieves won't break in, and the moths won't eat it, and they won't steal it. But God, God puts it in his heavenly treasure chest for your, for your blessing and benefit. It expresses to others, and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Again, back to the Luke passage at the beginning, that if you are faithful with a little, he'll give you more. And through your life, you've done that. And so he says, come in and uh, share in your master's happiness because you've done a good job. So, so the charitable will is an option. The traditional will is an option. So what we do is we offer appointments, which I do sign-ups even today. If you don't have an updated will or... If, whatever. I can't change an existing will that you have because I don't have all the documentation on my computer. All I can do is draft a, a new one for you with your wishes as of today. Then we have them signed, witnessed, and then I take them and get them notarized at our lawyer and send them back to you express post and you hang on to them. The powers of attorney go home with you immediately. The wills go with me and we get them notarized so they, they get through the court process very quickly. And we offer this as a free service to all of our PAOC family and friends. Uh, as uh, we just feel that this is a, an important way for you to cover children with guardianship, to make sure that you have your personal wishes honored in those moments, and to make sure that you're cared for if you can't care for yourself you know, along the way. And I thank Pastor Gary for, for allowing us to come and share this. That's really the whole seminar. 
Um, so basically what we're gonna do is just in a few moments, I, I take these appointments. I'll give you a form to take with you if you sign up to fill out your wishes for your substitute decision makers, for your powers of attorney, your, your executors, naming in your, your name and address and all that. I take that form and I merge it into a file, uh, an electronic file when we meet and then we draft the wills on site. I print them out on site. In, we'll be doing it here in the sanctuary in this area uh, starting this afternoon and tomorrow. If you are free to come and join me for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, uh, we'll have it done for you that quickly and it's free of charge, which is the biggest F-R-E-E, -E, all capital letters. Isn't that great? So um, we just cover this cost through other means at our office and budget for it. So we're just glad to, to help out along the way. And we do about 800 of these a year in the PAOC, which is excellent. So if you want to come back, Pastor Gary, that's it. That's just taking you on a life journey from beginning to, to end, which is the new beginning, of course, in heaven, uh, and just how you live your stewardship life along the way. All right? Bless you, folks, for being so wide awake and attentive through, like, you kind of feel like you're drinking from a fire hose when you hear all this information in one fell swoop, but, but you, go, you folks have been great, so I appreciate your, your due diligence. Cool.